Thank you for tuning in to Dinner with a Side of Culture podcast. This is episode five. It's been a few weeks since we've been on the air. We've had some bad weather here in the Greensboro, North Carolina area, the ice and snow mix, which has kept guests from being able to make it to the studio here at WAG 103.1 FM, the recording studio that WAG has so graciously offered us to use for the beginning of our podcast. On this episode, we have a guest, Allison Weldon, who is the owner of Nozilla Vintage, a, a vintage store in downtown Greensboro that has a curated collection of vintage goods and new goods as well. We do a little bit of a different format in this podcast as Ryan really breaks down the career of Allison and her development from a young child to where she is now as a owner of a small business here in Greensboro. We have a new food sponsor for this episode that we're very happy to have, Small Potatoes Mobile Kitchen. There's a local mobile kitchen that offers a subscription service. Yes, that's right, subscription, where you can get soups uh, on a weekly basis. And again, we are very happy to have them, and Ryan's going to talk about them right now. We're going to get into podcast number five of Dinner with a Side of Culture. It's good to be back on the air with Dinner with a Side of Culture. And tonight, Elizabeth Gibbs from Small Potatoes Mobile Kitchen provided us with our meal, our Dinner with a Side of Culture Elizabeth's an interesting person. I'm, I'm very happy to have been introduced to her. And uh, along this this journey of all this revitalization and, and working with the community, I've been able to meet a lot of cool people in Greensboro, which led ultimately to this podcast, but also leads to meeting people like Elizabeth, who is sourcing her subscription service and her mobile food kitchen uh, from local farms and all organic ingredients. And She's really going to be making a push this spring. So look for her, follow her on Twitter, look her on Facebook, and look out for her subscription service because the soups are incredible and you can't beat homemade food uh, coming with high-quality ingredients and local farm. Tonight we have another one of those interesting people from Greensboro. We're going to bring this story to you all a little bit differently. We want to really give you a full picture of the progression of an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur here in Greensboro who's been able to open her own store. And for all of you out there that have entrepreneurial pursuits or dreams or you're exploring your creative project, we want you to know that there is avenues for you to find career and and security in your own dreams and your own passions. You don't have to give in to working in the corporate world or sacrificing what makes you happy to support yourself. And how we got to wanting to do this podcast and sort of we started thinking about fashion because branding is something that I've been exposed to in a large way throughout my professional career so far. And in our work with Create Your City and with Jeff Beck with Menacing Studios and other mural artists really dwelled into street art. And when you dig beneath street art and you start to look at the subcultures of the companies uh, that surround the people in these subcultures. You see skateboarding, you see surfing, you see art, you see music, and you find the source of these companies are very basic. These kids, these young people are using basic grassroots methods and it's something as simple as a sticker, a t-shirt that you might sell to your buddies at the skate park, you might pass around to some of your friends at school, you might stick on a mailbox or a stop sign are turning into real companies. So the No Blank Walls project, which Jeff Beck and I are working on, 
that's the basis. We want people to understand that every company and every successful project starts somewhere. So establish your brand and find the way that you can express yourself and you can uh, create that unique way that people connect with you and what you do. So as we start out, I want to really delve into the background of Allison as a person, a creative person, an entrepreneur, and then we want to move into uh, the different experiences that carried her to where she is. And then we want to talk a little bit about the challenges that she faces as an entrepreneur and that some of you might fear in entrepreneurship or might experience in yourself. And hopefully at the end of this podcast and this interview, uh, you all will have more questions and uh, maybe some answers to some of those questions and we can motivate you to get out in the community and, and do the things that you love. So let's go ahead and and introduce Allison. And of course, I want to say thank you to co-host Jack Bonney, who's also a small business owner here in Greensboro with Center for Better Grooves, also known as CFBG Records on Chapman Street. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, something I kind of jumped into by accident, uh, more through a passion of mine in in collecting records and realized that it was always sort of a vague dream that was in the distance of running a record store and sort of fell into my lap. It's been definitely a learning experience. I, I don't have a business background, and it's something that you don't need to have. Is if you have that passion, we've talked about this before on the uh, podcast, if you have that passion, that's what's going to lead you to success. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. And now it's time to start the story of Allison Weldon, owner of Zilla Vintage Shop located in downtown Greensboro, a curated collection of vintage goods and new products. Uh, starting this story, it's... Uh, I don't know exactly what the year would have been, but you said you moved to Greensboro when you were nine years old. Um, we moved out of Michigan when I was nine. So I landed in Greensboro when I was probably 10, 10 and a half. You moved around a little bit. You went from Michigan to Florida. And then tell us a little bit. You said that your mom was kind of the motivation for moving to North Carolina. She had visited here with some friends in high school. Is that right? Yep, she did. Her and a group of her girlfriends went to Asheville on a senior trip, I guess it was, and she just fell in love with all the waterfalls, and she just said that she was going to move here one day, so she made that happen. And talking with you, it seems like that sort of knowing what you want and and really shooting for that is something that runs naturally in your family. You told me a story when we were talking before we got on air that your parents were kind of confused at your love for kind of for music and uh, you said that you found an an organ in your attic and you sort of taught yourself to play. Yeah, I actually don't know where that organ came from. It probably came from a thrift store. My mom used to take me to thrift stores all the time, but I got this tiny little organ. It had like two octaves maybe and I would just teach myself things. I remember taking it to my second grade class for show and tell and playing. I think I played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That was my first song. And it was, it was awesome. <laughs> and we, t- we talked about later on, when you started looking at higher education options and kind of thinking about your experiences and in, in high school with a lack thereof of art or the type of education that you received, whether that was interesting or compatible with you but starting at a younger age what experiences what kind of impact you know your family life your surroundings around you your friends had on your kind of creative growth or interest in things creative well 
I would have to say my parents are extremely creative people. My mom, like I told you, she designs crochet patterns. She did that since I was little, and she was always had you know art projects for us to do and you know she had this little thing called creative corner that had like construction paper and just a bunch of junk that we could just go and like make whatever we wanted so she was always very supportive and you know just being creative and not like going against the grain but just you know just having fun and being creative while you're playing and that she definitely wasn't into like playing with Barbies or you know like she couldn't like play make-believe but she she was all about all about arts and crafts. And that sense of getting you to think about making stuff and creating things rather than playing make-believe I think you also told me that your parents gave you the freedom to explore what you wanted to explore and do what you wanted to do rather than try to push you into a career or say, all right, Allison, this is the path that you need to take. Here's the things that you needed to do. They gave you the freedom to make your own decisions. And do you feel like having that freedom and able to kind of write your own future in a sense is a piece of what has allowed you to be so strong on your own now to start your own business? I think so. Yeah, I I've never had that that fear that I feel like a lot of people have instilled in them, like if they don't do this one thing or if they don't find a good job that they're not gonna have a happy life or they're not gonna be successful. And I just never, I never had that, and I didn't have I didn't have them telling me what I should do. And the one thing I did have was the you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was like, if you want something, you have to work for it. And I think that's a huge part of who I am. Like that, that was definitely instilled in me. Nothing was really handed to me. So I think that makes a big difference as far as like my work ethic and my determination to kind of be where I want to be and do what I want to do. It's, it's not fear, but it almost is fear in a way because it's like, okay, I don't, want to I don't know it's like I have a fear of getting a real job (laughs) if that makes sense like I've had one and I don't want another one you know so I want to make it work you know I want to make my business and my my life work the way that I want it to if that makes sense I I think it's (laughs) it's interesting to hear you say a real job because the fact that you were able to have that kind of path where you were able to kind of figure out what you want to do on your own and you made it happen on your own but the whole idea of, I hear from my parents all the time get a real job what is a real job yeah I mean, you're you have oh and this is job. like yeah my job is like over working 60 hours a week you know doing stuff non-stop always thinking about my business you know always doing a million different tasks like in a normal job or a real job you know one person wouldn't be doing all of all of those things but at the same time I wouldn't have it any other way you know it's so much better when it's something that you've created you know it's almost I I don't have any kids but it's like it's like you have a little baby and you want to take care of it and you want to watch it grow we were we were discussing your uh, kind of path and in higher education and talking about high school and whether college was something that you desired for and that you wanted to do in a four-year traditional university and you talked about you didn't take many art classes in high school you're more on a technical path so 
you had to pick a certain track to follow? So mine was more like I took drafting classes because I knew that I wanted to go into interior design. So that made more sense than taking art classes. And once you, you, you said you graduated from RCC in 2005, and talk a little bit about the community college experience, because I know right now there's a lot of talk of having free community college, and it's always good, I think, for people to have that opportunity to get higher education. So you told me earlier you're a bad test taker, you didn't really like high school. I was a bad test taker, too, and I would have I would hate for somebody to judge what education is or what education can do for you based on high school because I don't think that that's right. a good representation. Well, I think it's hard uh like when I think about education below high school, it's it's one, you know, one system and when you get out into the real world, you realize that not everybody fits into one system and everybody learns differently and everybody creates things differently and it's totally not embraced in our, you know, in our education system. And it's, it's kind of sad because I think it's super discouraging for a lot of kids. You know, I felt so dumb for so many years because I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to take tests and it would come so naturally to other people, but that's just what they were good at. You know, I'm just good at other stuff, you know? And this go for it ideals that you grew up with and just picking up things that you cared about and and really pushing them to the nth degree and taking them and and making them successful what when you were 18 years old did you ever think what what did success mean to you like what were you looking for to find success oh I don't even remember um I don't know honestly I I mean I knew I say I knew, but I I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I think I was just so excited to get out of high school. And I felt like going to a community college where I could actually take classes for something that I really enjoyed and I knew that I had a passion for was really exciting. So I felt like all of these possibilities were opening up to me, you know. And then when I started RCC, when I started going to school, I just felt like a completely different person than I did when I was in high school. I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm not dumb. I can, you know, I can do stuff. And so that was really exciting to, to be in an environment that kind of nurtured what I was good at, but still what taught me a lot you, of things. What guided you towards Randolph Community College? What made you, when you said you felt, you felt dumb and you didn't feel like you were, I guess, uh, able to excel in that traditional academic atmosphere that was created in high school what made you want to pursue education further and well I I think I was definitely in the like still in the mode of oh you have to go to college you have to do you know so I was kind of like well I have to do something but I knew you know I knew that I wanted to do interior design so it just made sense and when I didn't get into a four-year school you know, I applied to several schools, but I didn't get in because my grades weren't good enough. RCC was kind of the the next best thing, which turned out to be the best thing because I transferred to Appalachian after a year and a half, and the program there was not as good as the one at RCC. So I transferred back and just got an associate's degree. 
We often hear in community college experience that, that there is much more of hands-on experience definitely. rather than traditional academic. You, you found that to be the experience? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's so much more concentrated and everything's very compact. You know, with a four-year school, obviously you're in school for four years and you are taking tons of classes that aren't related to your actual degree, which is, I mean, it's great to learn as much as you want to learn, but if you know what you want to do and you just, I don't know, just you can learn it all in a short period of time. I think it's actually better because spanning things out for so long, you forget things, you know? So if you, if you have it all right there and then you can actually go out into the real world and apply it right away, that's, I mean, that's awesome. We're talking to Allison Weldon, owner of Nozilla Vintage in downtown Greensboro. And over the last few minutes here, you've been able to hear her journey through childhood and exploring art and, and finding herself and finding what clicked for her to be able to find the environment and the, the opportunity to excel. And we hope that the listeners out there that may be um, in similar situations now and in, in high school or uh, struggling in college or maybe didn't go to college and are trying to figure out what to do, uh, take just take a minute and sit down, kind of write down the things that you're passionate about and just really think about how you can take those things and create something for yourself. And as we continue talking to Allison, I want to explore the concept of education is to create a more skilled workforce to grow our our economy that was where what education was main purpose was for and you look at technical colleges and community colleges and they're basically to get people faster from high school maturity uh, education wise into the workforce so it's interesting now that there's a lot more educational academic focus on entrepreneurship and that you were able to take the environment and community college and turn it into your own entrepreneurial pursuit. But before you did that, you you took a full-time normal job, as, as you mentioned earlier, right? Well, I worked part-time when I was in school at RCC because I started, I started RCC right out of high school. So I just turned 18, and I was working part-time in showrooms downtown um, High Point for, you know, furniture market and things like that. I would help set up showrooms. And then... As soon as I graduated from RCC, I started working at a photography studio in Greensboro. And that was freelance for a while, and then I ended up working there full-time for many years and just selling vintage on the side. I loved in the conversation we were talking about the, all the different photography studios. I'm, I'm born and raised in High Point. And mm-hmm got family in the furniture business and I've been in a lot of those photography studios and one thing that I've, I've talked about with Jack a little bit and some other friends is you look at all the the bones of industry that we have here locally and with tonight's episode with us talking about fashion and branding and you opening your own store and you working for one of these photography studios in High Point and Sort of like I was talking to Jack about. I have a friend that's a musician, and he's talking about wanting to create a, I don't know if it's an online or a resource for people to find rehearsal space and recording space. Mm-hmm. When dealing with music, you think about booking agents. There's 
recording studios, there's record labels, there's agents, there's managers, there's sound techs, there's roadies, and then you look at furniture and design and, and fashion and all the pieces that go into all these industries. And with a place like Greensboro, we have all the bones. We have such a strong textile background. We've got all the design and photography and creative influx of people surrounding the furniture industry. It seems like someone like yourself that would have this creative drive to want to you know, work in fashion with design. And it's, it's interesting. You worked at a photography studio with, with furniture. Were mm-hmm. there other people that you worked with that had similar aspirations to yourself in that world well the studio that i that i started at was i was the youngest person by by far so i was you know i was kind of the weird kid you know the newbie but i i really enjoyed it because i got to be super creative and there was always something different to do um and i've always enjoyed kind of being a a a jill of all trades i guess um doing lots of different tasks. Um, I would do anything from physically moving furniture to, you know, designing whole sets and actually upholstering furniture and making pillows and draperies and things like that. So it was like a whole spectrum. And I learned so much when I was there too, which was great. Uh, And that helped me a lot in my career down the road when I decided to actually go freelance so I could spend most of my time developing my vintage business. Let's get into the concept behind your your vintage business. Let's talk about so we're gonna we're gonna sort of move out of the, the education and the the pretext of where she is today with Nozilla Vintage and we want to talk about how she was able to creatively create the opportunity for her business. So you started out with an online store selling vintage clothing online? Actually started when I was in college uh, as a way to help help pay for college. I started eBay, selling on eBay. And that was just very part-time. And then in 2008, I opened an Etsy store. And that was still part-time until probably four years ago. Then I got a booth at Design Archives. And that, that was very helpful in kind of building building my business. So everything started very, very from the bottom line, very small. And I just very gradually built it up because it's been, I mean, 14 years now since I had a, an eBay store. You mentioned earlier about your mom taking you to thrift stores when you were young. Is that sort yeah. of you grew up in? <laughs> yeah, in I think it's like in my blood. I don't know. Yeah, I remember she used to, you know, because we didn't have a lot of money, so we would go to thrift stores, and that's where we got our clothes. And she would actually make a lot of our clothes, too. I remember she would come up with a basket of laundry from the basement, and me and my brother were like, oh, my God, did you make all those clothes? And she's like, no, this is just the laundry. She's like, are you crazy? Like, we thought she was just like a little elf down there making all these clothes. (laughs) But, yeah, she would sit me. I remember sitting in this huge pile of shoes. Like, they had this big bucket of shoes at this one thrift store and I'd like be trying on all the high heels and stuff and like one day these will fit me and now as you can see I don't wear I don't wear high heels. <laughs> did you have a similar trajectory towards opening the record store was it did it start out as a hobby who kind of introduced you to seeking out records and starting to collect? 
really it's kind of a desire to hear music differently i guess I was into music at an early age well i got into it pretty much the beginning of high school and i was also sort of very curious uh, about uh, turntablism which is kind of a genre that doesn't exist anymore but still is around where DJs would take samples from old records and make them into sound collages, if you will. And so that kind of became my first interest is like, I want to learn how to scratch records. That looks really cool. And so my first turntable actually I bought, I was able to, it was, it had a, the belt allowed it to be able to scratch records. So anyway, uh, that's kind of the beginning of that. So uh, there was no influence of my parents or anything like that, but uh, I did grow up going to thrift stores. I can talk about that. And yeah. that continued <laughs> into my adulthood mainly. Yeah. Because well, several things, it was ability to save money. And I was, I'm also sort of, and I think this is due with the records, my interest in records as well as I uh, began into history mm-hmm. and learning about the history of fashion and how that, you know, carries over into the culture and music culture and all that. I think that's very fascinating to me. So that's, that's, really kind of what drives me still. But real quick, a, a question I have, which is a curiosity question. And I know it changes every year. What is considered vintage? Isn't there like a year cutoff? Is like 25 years? Or? Um, yeah, I actually get asked this question a lot because <laughs> there's a difference between, you know, I, I think anyway. So I guess technically people say 20, 20 years and older. And that's, that's just based on what I see on Etsy now. So like 1994 and before they're considering vintage, but I'm still in the the realm more of like eighties is still new vintage to me. And I have a hard time with (laughs) nineties being vintage because it makes me feel old and I don't like it. Yeah, I can't picture anything like Reebok pumps or I don't know. But really, like, um, not to sound like a granny, but a lot of the college kids, they love the the 90s stuff. They love neon and the high-waisted mom jeans and all that, all that fun stuff. So see a bunch of the kids walking around looking like the TV shows from the 90s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love when I see flat tops, though. That that makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, because that's awesome. In this, the third part of our of our conversation, we've started to talk more about how she started to move into the commerce side of design and passion for vintage clothing. And with starting to sell on eBay, you said 14 years ago, and then moving into Etsy, kind of talk about your first exposure to Etsy and, and what you feel like that's done for, for yourself and others like you. Etsy was a really cool platform. It was so much simpler to use than eBay. eBay got super confusing. I mean, not super confusing, but it was just becoming a hassle to list stuff. And it was all in auction form. So Etsy was great because you could basically create a little storefront and your listings would stay there for six months. So it was kind of a nice way to create this little curated section of the internet world to kind of start, you know, started formulating what I wanted my brand to look like. And, you know, it was kind of like a good testing ground for what sold and what didn't sell and, you know, kind of honing in my photography skills and all that stuff. So we're in 2008 at this point when you started using Etsy. Uh Uh-huh. As we all know, being creative people and having a lot of interesting friends, what were 
your friends and and uh, your connections. What were what were they doing at that time? Was Etsy something you all kind of found together? What was the overall kind of climate and fashion at that point? Um, I'm trying to think of how I found out about Etsy. I don't even remember. But I've. I've always kind of been the only one out of my friends that really is into vintage. I, I'm like now I'm I'm meeting just because I'm more more in the the scene I guess the vintage scene. I you know I meet a lot more people that are you know that have that same passion and I do have a lot of creative friends, but I'm the the only one that the vintage one. So. <laughs> So what year did you uh, first get your booth at Design Archives? It was three three or four years ago. I'm trying to remember. I know it was in February, so it was probably at least three years ago, yeah. May- maybe four. Jackie? Really bad with dates. <laughs> You've had a long history in, in Greensboro. You remember uh, Design Archives. They used to be on... Right off Church Street? Yeah, yeah. The first location market, was on Market. Yeah, yeah way down Market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, definitely the first vintage store in Greensboro, really. I mean, there yeah. was, uh, there's other ones, smaller ones, but she's been around quite some time, Kit. Um, and I, one question I definitely wanted to ask to tie into maybe why that started is the history of fashion in, as Brian mentioned, with textiles mm-hmm. and denim being a big you know, Cone Denim was a major player back in the day. Do you find that the, I guess this is the only sort of vintage scene you've been in, but do you find this scene unique in the fact that we are the region that we're in and some of the stuff that you come across? Um, Not necessarily. Through the, the avenues that I get my clothing, uh, a lot of it is basically going to people's houses that, maybe a loved one passed away or you know somebody was a hoarder and they hoarded clothes um and so I I don't really see a direct connection between the history of textiles in in Greensboro per se and what and what I do and what I find but I know that there is a rich history and and Evan at Hudson's Hill is like the denim expert when it comes to that stuff and so I'll I'll find my you know I'll ask him questions about if I if I do come across denim and things like that because there's just so it's just such a wide spectrum when you really delve into the depths of vintage there's so much to know and I'm always learning new things and you know just there's so many tiny little things about any little piece you know any garment from a specific era that you know most people don't even think about so it's fun in that regard, but there, yeah, I mean, as far as finding specific pieces of denim here more so than other areas, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if I do, so. <laughs> I was just curious. In thinking about the develop of an industry or a, a culture, obviously you have to kind of create some new things too for in order, and so... Do you think that the internet has, I know obviously the internet's played a big part in your business. Obviously you've had some strong experience with e-commerce, with Etsy and eBay. And But if you think about it back in the day, or even maybe not so far back in the day, you know, fashion weeks and, and fashion shows. And I a uh, few, a couple years back when I first was starting Create Your City, I 
picked a couple people that I wanted to interview in New York City. One guy was named Jonas Hedgewich, and he had a clothing store in Soho called John Ash. And he was from Germany, and he moved to Williamsburg in the 80s when it was a lot of mills and, and factories. And they actually moved into the attic of, of a textile mill. And he was part of the, the rebirth of Williamsburg. He was also involved with the rebirth of, of Soho when the art artists started coming in and just taking over these abandoned buildings, just putting their stuff out on the sidewalk, and people started coming through. And then that's actually how he got a building, and he ended up having this little store and owned a pretty decent-sized building and ended up getting a huge offer because, as you can imagine, Soho's property values multiply. Yeah. And when I, when I met him, he was living with his young family in a – a neighborhood in Brooklyn, near downtown Brooklyn, kind of near the new uh, Atlantic Center where the Nets play now. And he basically was just tinkering. He didn't seem like he had any real big push to uh, to create and be involved in, the, I guess, the. I've got a lot of friends in New York, the, the tough, tough world of New York, just cutthroat. But where do you see the birth of culture in terms of fashion in a city just does it can it solely exist on vintage clothing and thrift stores or do you think we have to have designers creating new things as well I mean I think it's always going to be a mix because even I mean just speaking on my behalf I I love vintage and I pretty much wear vintage all the time but there are some newer pieces that I like to incorporate into my wardrobe just because you know you can't find exactly what you want all the time in in vintage clothing so I think it is important to have to have a mix of of both and I'm all about buying a few really quality pieces that are either handmade locally or you know within the region or off of Etsy that I can incorporate to to wear with all my vintage yeah. <laughs> so that's kind Sorry, of the, like, I guess like the bottom line of it is that like what you just said that the the state of of where we're at today is that and we may be speaking in a very small subsection of of culture but we want quality things. We might be willing to pay a little bit more just like we might be willing to pay for uh, food from local farms because we know that it's quality, we know that it was created with care and that it was came from somebody's passion. So I think a note on that is owning a store, owning a retail store is it's very eye-opening at the same time. You know, there is that culture of, yes, we want quality, we want handmade, we want vintage, we want local. But there's still that ingrained mindset of, oh, I don't want to pay that much for that. You know, it's still very prevalent in our society. And people are used to paying nothing for crap basically you know for clothes that are going to fall apart in a year but they're like oh I can just get another one next year there's still that oh why would I pay this much for this if I can get it here 10 times cheaper so so trying to kind of shift that mindset and not everyone's minds are going to change but I think it's slowly it's slowly growing that mindset of like oh I don't need 50 pairs of jeans I could just have a couple pairs you know that'll last me forever what do you think the future 
holds for in 20 years for people like yourself that have a passion for vintage clothes with with us kind of discussing the furniture industry and the cradle to cradle mindset of people creating furniture that could be perfectly broken back down into the environment without anything happening to go to the landfill and but design happens so fast and part of what has made home design and furniture more appealing to young people I believe is the creation of Creighton Barrel, uh, Ikea, West Elm, these places where and even though West Elm's not really inexpensive mm-hmm. but these are things that aren't necessarily meant to last a long time they're meant to keep the trends the same right way. now I've heard that fashion the trends move so fast oh yeah and I've heard that furniture you know used to be a lot longer trends used to last and I don't want to put an exact number but I thought I maybe heard like eight years and mm-hmm. now it's closer to like fashion's like a year and furniture's like three years like yeah starting to close in so do you think in in 20 years you said what did you say vintage was 20 25 years mm-hmm. do you think that clothes from the early 2000s are gonna be still lasting and still having thrift stores and surviving or um yes and no I mean the quality the quality of clothing has definitely declined over the years and it just keeps getting worse and the fit keeps getting worse but I mean there, there's still going to be there's always going to be designer pieces out there there's always going to be higher quality pieces you know maybe the handmade items that are made today will still be around in 20 years hopefully and leading into uh, our kind of our Closing out a little bit here, I want to get into the specifics of your store, and I want to kind of lead into that by, I was recently in San Francisco, and I wandered into Wasteland, Um, and I don't believe, is Wasteland, I believe it is a direct resale, where they'll actually, I think that they, from what I've heard, it's a a different concept from typical, like, a thrift store, it's, uh, but they had intertwined some new clothes and kind of some interesting designer brands in the middle. And it's like, I guess they're starting to realize that let's intermix this because these designers, we want to give them, you know, the exposure and kind of a birth to these people that are really caring about fashion, that they're willing to come in here and look and they find things. I'm actually wearing pants that I bought at Wasteland that day. And so you were talking to me earlier that, you're going to start mixing in or you mixing some newer items like jewelry and accessories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I make some stuff, I crochet some items and, um, I make some jewelry and then we have some local designers that make jewelry, but this spring I'm going to really reach out to a lot of local artisans and, and get some really cool new products in that definitely fit in with the vibe of the vintage clothing, but that are new because, it's it's awesome. So as we as we close out, give us any last thoughts that you want to have that you want to leave with with people that have heard your story tonight and listened to the path from uh, from when you were a little girl to now owning your own shop and owning your own shop in Greensboro, which is specific to the most of our listeners. Or and what are your goals for the next twelve months? And uh, what advice would you have to others that are maybe in a similar position to you now or a similar position to you 10 years ago? I would say for someone just starting out, you just have to take it one day at a time. And I think a big part of that is trying not to compare yourself with um, companies that are already 
where you want to be, say, in four or five years and not getting discouraged and just taking baby steps and not trying to leap off the building. And then I would say where I would like to be in the next 12 months with my business is definitely have more systems created within my business to help the processing of all of the clothing go a little bit more smoothly. Definitely like to improve profits so I can start to bring on more inventory from from local artists and um, across the U.S. and just creating a comfortable space that people can hopefully find something that will make their outfits more creative and remind us of the address of your store so others can come visit you um it's 500 south elm street it's the little pie shaped building right across the railroad tracks um so at the beginning of south end we're gonna coin that now (laughs) thank you so much for joining us we really enjoyed we've really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your story and uh think many people will be inspired to to hear the things that you've accomplished so thank you great thank you guys thank you for listening to the dinner with a side of culture podcast a new experience brought to you by ryan saunders and jack bonnie thank you to create your city and cfbg records for supporting this venture please check us out on facebook twitter and instagram at create your city c-r-e-a-t-e-y-r-c-t-y We look forward to next time. Thank you.